Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined today by David Lake. Uh, David, the Florida game is here. We are planning to preview uh, the big matchup, I guess, over the next probably 30 to 40 minutes on this podcast. I mean, you've kind of come up with, I guess, the style or format we're going to do these kind of pregame uh, podcasts. So hopefully you, the listeners, like it. I think it's going to be a bit unique, a bit different. So uh, I guess just just kind of roll with us. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited. Game one's finally here. It's It's definitely cool that the whole football watching world really is going to be watching Miami and Florida play on Saturday night and I know I'm excited for it you know it's it's definitely more fun covering these big games the build-up and the actual game uh, I'm ready for it I guess before we get into the actual game preview I mean just some kind of news and notes nothing really new I would say has come out of uh, Coral Gables here over the over since we did the last podcast I know Tate Martell was spotted, I believe, on it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, wearing a white uh, practice jersey, which is normally reserved for the offensive skill players uh, and not the quarterbacks. Manny Diaz still being non-committal towards uh, that position change and, and kind of his future. Uh, am I missing anything else, uh, David? I think that's really the biggest thing. That's it. I mean, Manny was also asked about uh, you know potential suspensions, I guess, for this Florida game because. You know, there's been nine months since the last game Miami played, and there's a chance guys got into some trouble this offseason. And Manny kind of, he brushed it off and said, you know, we expect everyone to travel. Uh, now you can take that as an answer or not. I don't know. We'll see. So I'm taking Manny at his word, and that means everyone's going to play. But I guess we'll see because, I mean, really, we don't know how Manny handles these things yet, but we'll probably find out Saturday. We'll see. I mean, I guess a lot of people are reading into those uh, and ors on the two deep on both sides of the ball because there's plenty of suspension rumors uh, flaring in or, or I guess circling around players in Gainesville as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, I would expect suspensions on both teams, to be honest. I'm not going to say who or speculate who, but it's just kind of a part of how things go, honestly, with, with college football in general and you know, we'll see Saturday. I'm sure the teams will announce like an hour before kickoff or whatever as they play this gamesmanship with the suspensions, but we'll see. I think last year it should be noted Miami did have Nikosi Perry miss the opener against LSU. That wasn't announced until the day before when the team was traveling. Um, I totally forgot about that, to be honest, that he kind of missed that. Uh, we also knew that, uh, was it Michael Pinckney missed the Virginia Tech game for a suspension? Uh, Tyler right. Gothier missed uh, the bowl game, and I think Jaron Williams missed the game as well. And then I think Cade Weldon was out for four games. Am I missing anyone else there? I think that's it. Yeah, and like you said, they, they either announce it the day before or the day of. So we'll see. All right, let's get moving past from this suspension talk. So... First thing we're planning to kind of, I guess, preview is the opposing quarterback for each team Miami's going to play here uh, this season. Um, obviously, Florida has a, a pretty, I wouldn't say a household name, but a name a lot of college football fans know in Felipe Franks, uh, a former Under Armour All-American, a guy who was on the recruiting scene uh, for a few years. David, um, just what do you think initially of, of Felipe Franks and what do you think he brings to the table? Yeah, I think just some of the quick things that stand out about Felipe is how much better he did get under Dan Mullen in that first year in that offense. 
I think the year before he was he was starting under Jim McElwain as the head coach and running that offense, and he really struggled. It you know he couldn't process much. His pocket presence was poor. Uh, he just looked like a guy who, quite frankly, wasn't going to be able to win much at the college level. Dan Mullen comes in, you know, Felipe goes through a quarterback battle and and wins the job. And it seemed like with Felipe, every game, he kind of got more and more comfortable in his offense. And over the second half of the season, really, he kind of embraced uh, the running aspect that Dan Mullen requires from his quarterbacks. And that's kind of when Florida's offense took off and, and a big reason why they finished the year on a strong note. I think one thing I really like that Dan Mullen does for his quarterback is he creates quick throw opportunities. So he gets the ball out of Felipe's hands quickly, kind of one read passes that are easy for him to to make. And I think that helps Felipe get in a rhythm. It would help any quarterback. Uh, but, you, you know, we can get into this later, but Felipe does struggle when he has to come off his first read. He struggles when he starts to feel a little bit of pressure. And so Dan Mullen addresses that with his play calling, uh, both in the quick passing game and by utilizing Felipe as a runner. You mentioned him getting better as the season went on, and I do agree. Uh, I mean, the numbers don't lie there, but I think... When a lot of people talk about Felipe Franks, they kind of forget that Missouri game when he went 9 of 22 uh, for 84 yards. Right. Um, do we he think was that's, benched, right? He was benched. Yeah do, we, yeah, yeah. do we think that's out of his system? Like, there's, I mean, he's progressed from that. He, he's matured. I mean, that's that's gone. I mean, I, I just kind of, I'm not saying, you know, I'm expecting that against Miami, but I just think. Uh, why is that game getting forget it? Or a lot of people just kind of brushing past that game. Yeah, I mean, I think it, a big part is because he did finish the, the year on a strong note. Um, you know, his best games were probably those last three games against the real teams like uh, Florida State. Uh, he finished Michigan. really Michigan and then, yeah, South Carolina in the second half. Um, I do think if you are able to keep Felipe in the pocket, and make him beat you from the pocket, uh, then the defense is going to come out the winner of that matchup. Because he's not a guy that's just going to be able to stand in the pocket and beat you with his accuracy and timing. He's just not that guy. Like I said, he's got to get the ball out quick, which Dan Mullen does a great job of scheming up. He, he can get that done. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly, like am I saying, like in my opinion, I don't think Felipe is an NFL-level quarterback at all. But I think he's a good college quarterback that, you know, can definitely hurt you in in some different ways. Pro Football Focus says he only completed 26% of his passes when under pressure last season, averaging just 4.4 yards uh, per attempt. To yeah. me, that says it, it's a lot of checkdowns uh, when the other team gets in his face. No, I agree. Um, but on the flip side to that, you know, Florida really doesn't play much behind the chains. Like that's that's one of the good things that they do is they're always managing to get two or three yards seemingly on every play. And, and part of getting f- pressure on Felipe is putting him in those obvious third down passing situations that Miami's feasted on with Manny Diaz as the defensive coordinator the last two or three years. So to me, that's one thing I'm watching is, you know, what what is 
third down going to look like when uh, when Florida has the ball? Is it a manageable third down? Because then I would probably give the edge to Florida. If it's a third and long, I'm going to give the edge to Miami. Someone that will probably dictate whether or not it, uh, it is a uh, manageable third down or a, a long one will be LaMica Pirine. I have him circled as my player to be concerned about across the sideline. Um, for me, the, the reason I'm kind of bringing him up is the last time out we saw Miami's defense, they were absolutely gashed by Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, 205 mm-hmm. yards on 27 carries. I think, um, you know, we, I could have picked a whole bunch of guys on that offense, maybe some of those receivers, but Miami's got to limit him. Um, it, it's going to start with really John Ford, Pat Bethel, uh, and then the and then the linebackers, Mike Pinkney and Shaq Quarterman. I mean, they cannot um, – give up a big run, maybe like we saw in that LSU game last year uh, where there's a missed tackle or two. I mean, those guys are going to have to contain him, especially uh, between the tackles. 100% agree. I think, you know, Manny has touched on this too going into this game one. He said, like, look, honestly, in these first games, a lot of it boils down to who can tackle. Because really in camp, nowadays, you don't really tackle that much in practice. you know, you, you tackle your technique and your form, but really there's not much bringing guys down to the ground uh, during the month of August outside of maybe scrimmages. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, a real opportunity to to either make tackles or miss tackles. And LaMichael Pirine, in my opinion, is going to be the best running back that Miami sees all season. And also just touching on a point that we made earlier about Felipe if you want to make Felipe try and beat you from the pocket, the first thing you need to do is stop the run and stop LaMichael Pirine. Good point you bring up there. Who's the guy you're concerned about across the sidelines on Saturday? Yeah, so the guy I'm going to bring up is uh, Kadarius Tony, who's kind of their athlete. He's, Utility man. Right. So he's kind of, he's more, like he's built like a receiver, but they'll use him as a running back, uh, They'll use him as a slot guy. They've talked about this year using him even more on the outside. He's just a guy who Florida tries to get the ball in space and let his athleticism do, you know, generate some big plays. And last year, he was really impressive in that regard. He, so he touched the ball. This is according to Pro Football Focus. He touched the ball 47 times last year, uh, whether it's a run or a receiving play. And he got a first down on 22 of those plays. So basically half the times he touched the ball, it turns into a first down. Uh, Florida will will utilize him on a lot of jet sweeps, on a lot of quick passing game, a lot of RPO looks. And he will make the first defender miss, and then it's it's off to the races. He's probably, he's probably the most dangerous playmaker they have, to be honest, on offense. And Dan Mullen has said, look, Last year, I didn't do a good enough job of getting him the ball. And so I think there's going to be even more of a concerted effort to get him the ball this year. Sounds like there could be a situation where they've circled a number and it's like, hey, we got to get him X amount of touches. And and it being week one, I'm sure there's going to be some scripted stuff. I think the the key to stopping him is probably going to be those those two safeties. Uh, Miami's going to be starting yeah. in Amari Carter and Gervin Hall. I mean... We've talked about it in length on this podcast before. Miami really hasn't given up a bunch of big, long touchdown plays. And I think that's just because Sheldrick Redwine and Jaquan Johnson were so good at keeping things in front of them. And we really don't know what to expect out of, out of Gervin or Amari. 
I think them, and I think too, like I'm going to watch uh, Romeo Finley a lot too, because he's got to kind of patrol the alley, so to speak. Like he's going to be the man in conflict a lot of times on those RPOs, and he's going to have to work through the traffic and try and get Tony on the ground when they, they work him in that quick passing game. I think one thing too to note about Tony is he was a high school quarterback, and he might have even practiced like a first spring or... I think he did. That was, yeah, he did at quarterback and I think last year against was it Mississippi State he had a 20-yard touchdown pass on a trick play uh that might have been the difference in that game I think I have that right but anyways he's a threat in that regard as well like you know Miami fans are speculating about the trick play ability that Tate Martell might bring as a receiver Kadarius Tony is that kind of guy too Real quickly, before we shift to the, the, the next, I guess, bullet point in our notes, uh, you mentioned Romeo Finley. I mean, I would say out of all the strikers on the roster, he's probably more linebacker than he is safety. Um, if it comes down to a situation where uh, that striker is being asked to cover a lot, do you think Gilbert Frierson could get more run uh, over Finley? I don't think so, to be honest, because I think... I think the way Florida is going to uh, put those guys in conflict is throw the ball out wide. And so it, it comes down to which of those strikers do you trust the most to kind of break things down and tackle in space. And to me, that's Romeo Finley. Uh, I don't necessarily think in college offenses nowadays, they necessarily like I don't think offensive coordinators look at a matchup and say, okay, Romeo Finley is covering Kadarius Tony. Let's put Kadarius Tony on this route and have Romeo try and cover him. So I think it's just, I think the guy you want tackling in space is going to be Romeo Finley. I would be surprised if Gilbert Frierson sees the field much, to be honest. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think coverage is exactly, especially in the man-to-man category, is, is one of his strengths. I'm not saying he right. can't do it. I just think... Uh, there's a reason they probably moved him from where he was to, to where he is now. I would say, too, like, I think teams did test Romeo last year, and he kind of stood up in that regard. Like, he had a few pass breakups, and he also had that pick six against North Carolina. So I'm with you. Like, he's probably a better tackler, but he's also proven to be fairly reliable in coverage. We've already hit on a few different uh, matchups. One other, uh, I guess now we're going to kind of go into our key matchups for the game. Mine is Miami's tight ends against David Reese. Now, I know, um, again, something else we've talked about a a bunch has been uh, Miami's tight ends and how we think Danny Enos is planning to utilize them. But I think really specifically this game is a chance where they they have, is somewhere where they're going to have a chance to take advantage of some matchups. I think David Reese... Uh, Florida's linebacker you know I don't think my uh, the Gators want him to be in coverage a lot but if Miami's running these two three tight end sets he's a guy who's going to have to be on the field just because I'm sure the Hurricanes are going to go show run and Reese really wasn't good in in coverage last season I think Missouri Georgia and LSU all found a bunch of success throwing at him last season so I think uh, that's that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on just is it Will Mallory or is it Brevin Jordan? Can they find a way um, where they're running two athletic tight ends at this guy, uh, especially on key downs, maybe like third down, third and short, and, and something like that? No doubt. That's a big one. I think I looked up on Pro Football Focus. So for the season, 
Opposing teams targeted David Reese. I think it was something like 26 times, and he allowed 21 catches. So that's obviously not a good job there in coverage by Reese. And really, that's not his strength. He's more of a run-defending linebacker, a guy who's best in the box. He can't really get out. He can't even really defend the run well, uh, sideline to sideline. So asking him to be in coverage against athletic tight ends is just... It's honestly not fair because it's just not within his skill set. So I'm with you there. I think if if they can get Will Mallory going on, on David Reese, that's going to be a matchup that Jaron Williams has to hit all day long. What is your? Or I guess what is your key matchup for this game? Yeah, I mean mine's mine's fairly obvious. I feel, but I I think it still still needs to be said. I think so. I'm going to be watching Jabari Zuniga, Florida senior defensive end who he might have been first team all sec he he gets some first team all america looks by by various preseason publications so basically what i'm saying he's a big time deal and he's a projected first round pick in the nfl draft next year against you know either side really it doesn't matter and i imagine (laughs) I imagine Florida will move Zuniga around. So he's either going to be facing true freshman left tackle Zion Nelson at left tackle or right tackle uh, John Campbell. Uh, Both guys will be making their first starts on the college level. Uh, And, you know, Todd Grantham, too, is is a creative guy with his blitzing and how he utilizes guys. So he's going to put those tackles under a lot of pressure. And Zuniga is going to be a big part of that. So... You know, I think in general, Zuniga is maybe regarded as an elite edge setter, an elite run defender, and kind of a, he's a good pass rusher, but maybe not the twitchiest guy, not not an elite guy in that regard. But he's still going to be a guy that, that will give these offensive tackles issues as a pass rusher. So I'm going to assume one of your keys to the game for Miami is going to be containing him. I mean, is that is it, do we have that marked down as your key to the game? Well, I was I was actually going to go with what you brought up earlier, and I was going to say I think stopping the run is a huge deal for Miami's defense because I think if Miami's going to win this game, it's got to be a defensive battle. And I think if it's going to be a defensive game, then Miami's got to stop the run. And as we talked about earlier, that's LaMichael Pirine, that's Kadarius Toney as a running threat. And we can go into more with Felipe as a running threat. I think he's honestly, like, towards the end of last year, Felipe proved to be uh, Dan Mullen's go-to short yardage back, so to speak. So inside the five-yard line, he would run, like, three plays in a row, just Felipe, quarterback keepers, and allow him to just kind of ram it in there. And at 6'6", 245 pounds, when he gets his, when he starts running behind his pads, he's a load to tackle, and he's a guy, too, with that momentum that's going to be always falling forward. So in that regard, I think stopping the run is a huge key to the game for, for Miami. My key to the game also kind of revolves around Franks, and I know it just sounds – I mean, we haven't even talked about Jaron Williams starting this game, but I kind of in the same boat with you. I mean, if Miami is going to win this or, or you know, pull off the upset, it's going to have to be a low-scoring game. And for me, I think they got to get pressure uh, on Felipe Franks. There's the stat that's been floated around. I think it was maybe last month, but ESPN's David Hale 
uh, is the one who put it out there last year when Felipe Franks was pressured against Power 5 de- uh, defenses. He only completed 25% of his passes, which was 64 out of 64. Uh, it's ranked 64th out of 64 uh, for qualified Power 5 quarterbacks. Um, and it, his QBR was like 52nd. I mean, so last year when he was pressured, he was not good. And I think one of the strengths of Miami's team is those edge rushers, whether it's John Garvin, Trayvon Hill, um, even Greg Russo, Jafari Harvey. I, I think these guys have, are going to have no problem kind of getting to um, the quarterback. And just everyone wants to talk about how young Miami's offensive line as, is at, at right tackle and left tackle. I, I agree. I mean, they are very, very green there. But so is Florida. I mean, they're replacing four starters. Um, I, I think you could even argue that the interior of Miami's offensive line is in a better spot right now than, than Florida's offensive line. So I think if Miami is able to get in his face, force some three and outs, uh, I think that's going to take a lot of pressure off Jaron Williams in that offense. Um, I agree with you. I think my biggest question mark in that regard is will Miami have the opportunities to get that type of pressure on Felipe? So I think, as I alluded to earlier, like if there are third and longs, then yes, I really like Miami's chance to pressure Felipe and and win that battle. But if Florida is able to just kind of efficiently pick up three, four yards at a time, like they did last year, then I don't know if like putting pressure on Felipe is going to be something that's going to happen much. Like, I think if you look, if you looked at last year's stats on pro football focus, there was only like two games against power five opponents when Florida had 15 quarterback pressures or more in a game. And, uh, when you look at Miami, what their defense did last year, they had three games last year alone where they had at least 22 pressures on opposing, on opposing quarterbacks. So basically what I'm saying with that is Florida, yes, their offensive line was fairly good last year, but also within that, they do a good job of just getting the ball out quick. Let me ask you too, Andrew, just talking about Jaron, what do you feel like are realistic expectations for Jaron in this game? Like, give me a, a realistic stat line that you feel like uh, is Miami maybe can, good enough Miami to win. win. Yeah, yeah I, I would say, if, I mean, if he's anywhere in that 15 to 25 category, um, you know, with two touchdowns and, and, and one interception with roughly 200 yards, I think Miami's going to win. I mean, he's going to have to complete I would say close to 60% or more of his passes. Mm -hmm. And he's really going to have to manage the game. I think that's the biggest thing. I I don't, I can't see uh, Dan and Manny being like, Hey man, you're going to have to win the game for us. I mean, I could be completely wrong there. I just, I can't, I think he's going to take way more of a game manager type approach. Um, So. I I agree. I'm with you. I think that's fine. You know, 175 to 200 yards is honestly going to be good enough. Uh, obviously can't have any interceptions, can't have I any think he turnovers. Can't have, more than, can't have more than one interception. I mean, if right. he does, it's it's going to be, ugh. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think those are fair expectations. Like, like we've both been saying, I, I think expecting a defensive battle is fair. And I think that's for both sides. Like, I don't, 
Like, I do think Florida has nice personnel at receiver, but I just don't see Dan Mullen open it up like that and really taking chances downfield. Right. I mean, especially if you think you can run the ball with P. Ryan and um, the rest of their backs. I mean, why would you put Franks in a a five or seven step drop when you're you're trying to fend off uh, all of Miami's pass rushers? Right. All right. So who's your player of the game? First, give me for Miami on offense. Who, who do I think? So are we going to go here who we think is going to have a good game or? Yes. Okay. I think DJ Dallas is going to have a good game for Miami. Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. It, I, I, like I said, I don't think they're going to put a lot of pressure uh, on Jaron Williams. Um, I think that uh, DJ has not taken the next step, taken the next step, excuse me. But I do think uh, he, he's gotten more serious. There's been very positive returns coming out of preseason camp and I guess this past week of practices about kind of where he's at mentally and physically and I, I think he's a physical style of runner and I think that, that that's what they're going to need and they're going to rely on in this game so I could see him definitely uh, getting close to that 100 yard mark um, and just kind of being the workhorse of the offense and then maybe they'll bring in Cam Harris as a change of pace back but um, if Miami is going to get things going. It's going to have to start, I think, with DJ. And and then you're also running to him behind, like I said, the, the strength of your line with Navon and, and, and DeLon and uh, Corey Gaynor there in the middle. I think they're going to go right right into those two gaps uh, in, in the middle of the line. I like that pick. I think, you know, if DJ does get close to that 100-yard mark, Miami will definitely have a real shot at winning that game. My pick, I'm going to go with a guy you alluded to earlier with Will Mallory. For the exact same reason you said earlier in that I just love that matchup with, you know, Florida's linebackers trying to cover him. And even if if Florida decides to put a safety on him, I still I'm going to like that matchup going Will Mallory's way. I think he's going to be a big part of this offense this year. Um, He's an athletic freak with his speed and an ability to just chew up yards after the catch. And I think he's going to be a tremendous weapon this year. All right, my defensive guy is Gervin Hall, and I, I guess I might be sipping some of the love it some of, some of the Kool Aid. I don't know. I, I wrote on Wednesday, um, Matt Doherty, the the former director of player personnel for Miami, who's kind of put together, um, really ran Mark Rick's recruiting department and and built that much heralded uh, Storm eighteen recruiting class. He he, he was on a, a podcast, the, the Storm Surge podcast, and they. They asked him who, who he thought was ready to take the next step, and he said Gervin Hall, the safety, and then he kind of listed off all the reasons, just how uh, he plays very violent. Uh, he's a guy that that, that can uh, make plays on the ball when it's in the air, which which sounds, in theory, easy, but some defensive acts struggle with that. And I just – I think he's in – I think it might all come together for, for him this week. I, yeah. Or, I mean, I, I just think I can see him really kind of making some physical hits – uh, playing that that field spot, getting out there, and um, again, I guess just like with DJ, I mean, if, if Miami's going to win this game, they're going to need a big game um, from Gervin, and I just think having known his personality and covered his recruitment, I think he's someone that's going to not not shrink up in, in the spotlight. I think he he's probably ready for a moment like this. I'm with you. I think he's. I think Gervin's going to be a star this year. I'm I'm really high on him, and I think too. Like I wonder too. Like like you know Dan Mullen looks at Miami's defense and knows, hey, they lost 
Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine last year. Let me see what these new safeties are all about. Let me test them with some deep shots. If I was Dan Mullen, I'd be a little nervous to do it again. You know, if Gervin's back there, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily test Gervin. But it's going to be interesting if, if Dan decides to dial up some shots Gervin's way because Gervin could definitely make them pay. Um, my pick, I'm going to go with John Garvin. Uh, you know, pressuring the quarterback is one way for a defense to dominate. And I think John Garvin is Miami's best pass rusher this year. Uh, you know, we've seen it last year. And by all indications, he's taken the next step this year. I think in the summer, he was awarded the best performing player in the strength and conditioning program on the whole team, which I think is a really good sign. And I'm ex- I really like John Garvin's matchup against uh, Stone Forsyth, who's the projected left tackle for Florida, who's a big dude, but maybe the, not the most agile. Um, right, right. You know. Stone's going to have to play the angles. Like, he's just going to have to get in the way of Garvin. And I think Garvin is a guy who can really bend around an edge no matter what. So I think Garvin's going to eat up that matchup. And, you know, if those third down opportunities that we've been alluding to are there, I think Garvin's going to get home a lot on Felipe. And, and we've seen Garvin, I mean, I'm not saying Stone Forsyth some type of elite offense alignment, but we've seen him do very well in yeah. these big game situations like that Notre Dame game two years ago when he was going up against, yeah. uh, I think it was Mike McGlinchey. I mean, uh, if he gets that chance to pen his ears back, I'm fully taking him in that battle. No doubt. And, you know, last year, like you alluded to, Garvin shows up in big games. Last year against Florida State, he tallied six uh, quarterback pressures against the Seminoles, according to Pro Football Focus, which is a ton for people that don't know. That's a lot of pressures. Like three in a game is a lot. So Garvin had six last year. He's a guy who steps up in big games, and I think he'll do it again this weekend. All right, now we're going to shift to, uh, I guess, Miami wins this game if, for me, the turnover chain makes multiple uh, multiple appearances. I know we're talking about uh, alluding to, to long third downs, and making Franks kind of kind of beat you, but um, I, I I was doing some research. Miami is fourteen and one in games where they have a plus turnover margin the past two seasons. I mean that makes makes Ooh. sense, obviously. You know you're generating turnovers, uh, but it seems like if they if they're they're fourteen and one when they win the the turnover battle. And this one I also found interesting. They're twelve and two in games where they force multiple turnovers in that same span. The two losses at Virginia and at Pitt. So. Miami, under Manny Diaz, I guess when he's directing the defense, uh, it, or since the turnover chain became a thing, I mean, if they get multiple turnovers, uh, they're pretty hard to beat. And I, I think if, if Miami can get some fine, intercept a pass, get a strip sack or something like that, um, that, that will go a long, long ways. I like that one. And I, I'm with you. The turnover chain is infectious. Uh, once it comes out, it gets the crowd hyped, it gets the team hyped, and Definitely that momentum is hard to stop. Uh, my my key, my, so Miami wins the game if, and I think I've touched on it a lot, but I'm just, I'm watching third down. So what is Florida's average third down? Is it third and three, third and two, third and four? Then I think Florida probably wins the game. If it's third and seven or longer on a consistent basis, I think Miami wins this game. 
both because they're going to get stops on third down and because, as you alluded to, I think it's going to lead to turnovers potentially if they can get Florida in these third and longs. So obviously, you know, we're both, we keep harping on the same points, but it looks like this is going to be a defensive game in our minds. Uh, third down's a key down, and the turnovers are huge. And honestly, like, this is all stuff that Manny has built his defense on. Like, th- these are his core values as a defensive coordinator. And, you know, we're going to see that put to work here for a veteran Miami defense against a veteran Florida offense. And I think it's going to be fun. We both talked about, I mean, what they are, are I guess, are win the game if we're, we're both defensive oriented. What do you think they got to do on offense um, coming out of the gates, I guess? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing is work the tight ends. So I think they got to work that game. Uh, you know, DJ Dallas needs to have some success, as you alluded to. And I think you got to get the ball out quick. And I, one thing I'm interested in seeing this week, you know, Dan Enos alludes to it whenever he talks to us, but I want to see it before I believe it. He, you know, Dan Enos talks a lot about RPOs, um, which I'm interested to see if he installs at Miami because when he was at Arkansas, you know, that really wasn't part of his offense. Um, but of course, when he was the quarterback's coach at Alabama, they were running RPOs all game long. So maybe that converted him into being a believer in the RPO. And maybe we're going to see some of that here at Miami with Jaron running the show. So, you know, and, and an RPO is a dangerous kind of ball control style of offense. Um, so and, and I, I think it would be an efficient way to, to move the ball down the field. So, you know, the biggest thing I think is avoid turnovers, uh, get the ball out of Jaron's hands quickly. And I think if they do that, Miami's offense will be good enough to hang around. Um, But ultimately, I think it it does boil down to the defense has to stand up. Miami has to win the field position battle. Uh, So within that is is the punting battle uh, to set up easy opportunities for this offense. On the RPO point, I feel like Dan's quietly also keeps hinting that Jaron's like elusive. He's uh, he's mentioned yeah. that multiple times and we've never really had that chance to kind of see it aside from a spring game in Orlando or a spring scrimmage. So um, yeah, I'm interested to see if he's actually like capable of a designed run. I mean, he, he has the size. I just, and he ran, a, I believe a little bit in, in high school, but I've never really pegged him as the guy you kind of want running some type of option. No, I agree. Tell me this. We haven't talked at all about like Jeff Thomas or KJ Osborne. Um, they're obviously going to be lined up against some big time corners that Florida has. Can we expect much from them in this game or is it just going to be too tough? Do you think? Oh, you know, I'm not the biggest believer in the wide receivers. Just just read the message board. I mean, <laughs> pl- pl- plenty of comments on that. No, I. I mean, those are two very good corners. I think it's I was it's, I was talking to uh, C.J. Henderson's brother Xavier on, on Wednesday night after his football game, uh, Blin Jesuit in Miami Columbus, and he just goes to me. He's like, "Yeah, you know, C.J.'s. I, I'm not going to have a chance to play with him at Florida. He's he's going pro." And it, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, "C.J.'s only played two years of, of football, and his brother's already telling reporters that this guy is leaving early for the NFL draft." So it's, <laughs> if, I just found that he's funny. Time, but, <laughs> I know, I know, but. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't think 
I think regardless of who's lined up across Jeff Thomas, I mean, Jeff Thomas can always get behind you. I mean, we've right. seen that uh, throughout his career. Uh, interested to really see what K.J. Osborne looks like in this offense. I mean, again, we've seen it in, in practices, but what exactly is his role um, and how do they try to get him involved? Because I think he's just a, a, a he, he's like a veteran, man. When you talk to him, he's he's so mature. Yeah. Uh, he's like, you know, not like a pro's pro, but he's as closest thing I think on offense they have to them having a pro, if that makes sense. Um, so one thing they can get, I was just uh, going to say, one thing I'm watching for with Jeff in particular is what type of easy throws does Dan Enos generate in this offense to just kind of get Jeff the ball? Because I feel like, you know, under the Mark Richt offense, it was mainly about just uh, deep shots with Jeff, which is good. Like, he's definitely good at that. He's very fast, and he tracks the ball well. Um, but I think he's also very good in space. Uh, his oh, ability... would... Go ahead. I would agree with that. I mean, have we ever seen, like, anything underneath to, like, Jeff? Or, like, just like, hey, let's get him involved yeah. from the start? They I mean, kind of we... did that last... Like, at towards the end of the year last year... Like right before he left, they kind of started doing that more. But yeah, like I want to see it more like crossing routes, uh, even like RPO swings to Jeff. You know, I, I just get the ball like kind of like I was saying with Kadarius Tony on Florida. I'd like to see that with Jeff this year. Well, I think they're going to try to get him involved. From, I mean, from what they've shown us, it, that jet sweep out of out of, I guess, the I formation or under center. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it does seem like every time Jeff Thomas scores and don't get me wrong. I mean, it's great if you can get him on a long ball or anything like that or that ridiculous catch he had on the, he had on the sideline against LSU. But it seems like every time he touches it, it has to be this monster play. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, you can work the intermediate short passing game with him and maybe it leads to a, a long play. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just yeah. it seems like he's never been a guy who's had a, a multi catch game where. You know, he was a real focal point instead of more of a just a go-to go-to guy when you need him. Yeah, I'd like to see his targets go up. So I think like last year there was only like I don't know three games when he had eight eight or more targets in a game, and I'd like to see that kind of become the standard. Honestly, week to week is let's target Jeff eight times every game, and you know make it efficient targets, not chuck it down the field targets. So I think that would benefit the offense. I don't know. So with all this being said, score prediction, what do you got for Saturday, uh, 7 p.m. ESPN kick from Camping World Stadium in Orlando? What's what's the score prediction? Yeah, so I reserve the right to change it before I publish well, pending, my article. Pending <laughs> suspensions or what? Well, yeah, that could change a lot too, depending on who's Weather forecast. Or... <laughs> right. But so right now I will give you a score prediction of 21-13 Florida. And basically what it boils down to for me is I just feel like like overall I feel like the talent level is fairly comparable between the two teams, but in my opinion Florida's talent is older and I think that matters. Uh, whereas Miami's talent is more kind of unproven guys who are looking to prove themselves in this game. And so to me, that just leads to too many kind of what ifs on the Miami side. Um, I do think there's a path that that Miami can win this game. Uh, 
But I think overall, the way I kind of see this game going for right now is, you know, I think it's going to be close for three quarters, and then Florida just kind of pulls away in the fourth quarter. That's kind of what I envision for this game. I'm in the same boat, um, and I, it's not even a trendy pick anymore just because as more and more national analysts are, are making their calls, they're all predict, pre- predicting this one to be a, a relatively low score. And I, I think right now I got Florida 24, Miami 17. I, mean, I think this game's going to be tight. Um, I think if Miami can really keep it close in that first half, it'll get interesting there in that second half. I just can't see either team or, or, or really either offense getting going just given what the two offensive lines look like. I mean, right. I went down Florida's too deep on the offensive line. I was like, oh, I mean, I know they're, they're probably doing the same about Miami's offensive line, but uh, I, it's just I just given the talent on both defenses, I, I think points are definitely going to be at a premium. I mean, I think I agree. I feel like there's a path for Miami to win this game, and we've talked about it. Uh, Got to get the tight ends involved. Got to uh, get that turnover chain out. Um, and if Miami does that, I think they're, they're, there's a good chance they can maybe maybe steal one. And, and rivalry games are all, always close. I mean, last year, look back at the Florida yeah. State-Miami game. I mean, right. Florida State was terrible, and that game yes. was close. Right. So, no, you're right. I, I think, I just, too, just like big picture-wise, too, like if you looked at it, between two kind of nameless, faceless teams, right? And I told you, okay, one of these teams has a freshman quarterback, a freshman left tackle, and a freshman right tackle making its first start against what is, you know, a top 15 defense in the country. Uh, I don't know if many people would want to take that bet. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I mean, the line has hovered around seven and a half. And, you know... Why hasn't this thing jumped close to 10, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I think it's for the reason you just said, like, rivalry games are weird. And honestly, like, you know, these are two fairly talented teams. And isn't, I mean, you mo- you know more about betting than I do, but, like, isn't seven and a half a fairly strong uh, difference in a uh, game like this? I would say not in college, but maybe, maybe in the NFL for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that leads us right into our next thing, our 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 best bet for the week. Um, and I do want to point out, I mean, if if anyone's freaking out about us not picking Miami, I mean, Miami at the end of the day is one and four straight up in their last five games against the SEC. So, well, yeah, yeah. and honestly, like, like honestly, big picture wise, in terms of Miami's season, if Miami keeps this game close, they're fine. Like, they're fine. You regroup, you got two weeks to regroup, and then you start your ACC schedule against North Carolina. And, you know, honestly, the rest of the season, Miami will probably be favored in every other game. So my thing is, for the rest of the season, Miami just can't get blown out. I don't see that happening. I don't see a blowout happening. Um, so really, I'm not, I wouldn't be doom and gloom. Uh, with a close knit, like a close loss to Florida, to be honest, like, yeah, losing always sucks. But honestly, uh, I don't think it necessarily matters too much for this season for Miami. Do you agree with that? I do. From a program standpoint, I do think that they got to keep it close. I mean, they got to show that this is 
the new Miami. I, I think from a, a coaching standpoint and just a perspective standpoint, they have to be able to point to something and look, look we're, we're taking the steps in the right direction. This really is new. So they at least got to show something and they can't get blown out. And I, I, I really don't think they'll get blown out. And if they do get blown out, it'll, it'll be more of the, I don't know, maybe like 30 to seven, 30 to 10 type thing. I, I don't, I can't see Florida putting up 50 in uh, Miami, just no, completely no, no. shutting down. I think, uh, Manny will have these guys, these guys ready. And as long as it's somewhat close and competitive, um, that's all that you can really ask for. And then, you know, in two weeks from now, you take on, uh, a true freshman quarterback in Sam Howell at North Carolina, and then the real season really starts. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it would be nice to beat Florida, of course. And if they do, then yeah, this thing's going to really take off and Miami will be in the mix, you know, nationally, to be honest. Um, but if they don't, Honestly, like the goal is, I know Miami fans don't like this, but the goal is the coastal. Miami has to win the coastal and get back to Charlotte, and that's still definitely attainable. Yeah, and you know your first two, first start for Zion Elson is right. <laughs> against a, a, a top ten team. First start for John Campbell against a top ten team, and first one for Jaron Williams against a top ten team. I mean, there's going to be lumps along the way. Uh, at least you got that out of the way, I guess. This is clearly the best team on the schedule too. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So like they're getting this game out of the way, so to speak. And if it's close, I think that's a good sign because you would think that the offense in particular is just going to keep getting better and better and better as the season progresses. All right. So best bet right now, uh, as of, I guess we'll say Thursday, this podcast will be out on Friday. The spread is up to seven and a half at the Westgate. Uh, over-unders down to 47. Some places have it at 46 and a half. Um, David, I guess if you were a betting man, what is your best bet uh, for Saturday? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would, my score prediction is 21-13, so I guess I would take the <laughs> under. Yeah. Uh, I feel better about the under, honestly, than the seven and a half. I think the seven and a half is a real tricky number, to be honest. Um but yeah, I would take the under. Your boy are locked in the in the under uh, at forty eight earlier <laughs> this week, and it's steadily gone down. Uh, my money. best bet, my my best bet, uh, is a prop bet. So you might not be able to get this at at all your uh, wagering locations, but uh, I saw it. I saw this multiple times last season. You normally see it in these kind of game of the weeks. Um, is will there be a defensive touchdown? And I or a defensive or special teams touchdown. I would take that one unit bet absolutely right now. Um, I had the same feeling kind of last year heading into that North Carolina game. And Miami had like three defensive touchdowns this game. Um, both teams last year had had multiple games where they scored uh, defensive touchdowns or, or special teams touchdowns. And I I just get that feeling that you know there's going to be a pick six or or strip sack and. Just with a defensive struggle, I, I could definitely see it happening. And then I like what Miami has in the return game with Jeff Thomas. So if you can get some some plus money on that, uh, you know, anywhere from that plus 150 to plus 200 range, I, I think there's definitely some value there. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you could definitely see that with, you know, both offensive lines being a question mark. I think that lends to that being more of a possibility. All right, David. So what else? Uh I guess let's wrap this thing up. Me and you will both be in Orlando on uh, Saturday. We're hoping to do a, a show after the game that we'll have up on Sunday. Don't know how the audio quality is going to be as we're going to be working from 
a mobile studio, aka the front seat of one of our cars. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be fun. You know, I, I guess this podcast is going to drop Friday, but we're still going to have plenty of content. You know, Friday on the website, Saturday leading up to the game. So definitely check out what we still got coming. You know, it'll be even more in depth probably than this podcast, um, where I really get into the nitty gritty of of some of the matchups and stuff. So. You know, should be fun. I hope everyone enjoys the game, and uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, guys, make sure you check out Miami.247sports.com.